Thank you, Laura, and praise team. I'm telling you, I'll just love to begin after I've worshipped like that. What a blessing. James, you bless me, brother. I just want you to know that. Your presence blesses me for being here, all of you. I failed last week, and I apologize for that. But I wanted to especially acknowledge the work that Gary and Marsha Rogers has been doing in putting together a directory, a church directory. Now, that may not mean very much to you, but for the last three months, I've been talking to people on the phone and wondering what they look like. (laughs) I asked one of the men in our church, I said, have I met you before? And he said, yeah, I'm in your Bible study. (laughs) So I need all the help I can get. And I appreciate that so much. And there is one available per family in our church as well as we look at those. I hope you have your Bible and you will turn with me to Joshua, the seventh chapter. Now, I don't know if you know about this Old Testament book called Joshua. It's a tremendous book. But let me tell you something about it. Joshua teaches and illustrates New Testament victory. That's what all the book of Joshua is supposed to be about. Victory of God's people, that he gives us that victory. That's God's plan for us right now and for our world. But when we come to the seventh chapter of Joshua, standing out like a rose in the middle of a briar patch, our attention is brought to the fact that in chapter 7, these people have experienced an ignominious humiliation and defeat right in the middle of experiencing victory. This happens. You and I know about that. In Joshua 7 verse 1, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I gave you one Sunday off and that's it. We're going to get back to this. But in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, hope you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Listen to what God's Word says. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, and Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now, if you want to know what those things were, just go back to your left, one page, and in chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, here are the devoted things, the things they were not supposed to take or to touch. Listen to it. Verse 18 of chapter 6. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to the destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Verse 19, But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasure of treasury of the Lord. They shall go in the treasury of the Lord. Every one of us 
have about the same thing on our mind as we came into this room today and as has been mentioned already. Let me ask you, do you sense in your spirit, somewhere down in your spirit, wherever that might be, do you sense that our nation, our world, is under the judgment of God right now? Do you understand that? Now let me ask you another question that's going to be hard, and I can walk around. Let me ask you this. When you see what's been happening on the television, and you've been watching, do you feel any guilt about this? Any personal guilt? Well, I just want to tell you, friend, we're going to look in a minute. You and I are guilty. We've seen the underbelly and the hatred going on in our nation in this last week that maybe we thought wasn't fair. Friend, I just want to tell you, we have a lot of hatred in this nation. And God's judgment is coming upon the church and upon His people there and all that. We need to understand that. There's anger. There's hatred. There is, uh, our nation is culturally and color divided in such a way And for us to look at those people who are doing all those things and wonder about what's wrong with them, I want to tell you it's where we are. And we're going to see today that when sin comes in, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Whether you want to accept guilt for it or not, we're all guilty. Every one of us. And I want to tell you, only with fasting And prayer and repentance is God going to bring healing. Only by that. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, I pray that urgency and fervency would characterize the prayers of your people. And I'm including myself. Your people here at Crossroads. Oh, God, speak to us. I pray that as your people would lay down, and I'm talking about your people who are part of this fellowship, would lay down our petty differences and our personal agendas and our divisive attitudes. Father Satan's just working with all that, and he enjoys it. And we're looking at our, down our smug nose and wondering what's wrong with the world. Oh my goodness, Father. And I pray that as you convict us of this, that we would genuinely unite behind the need for an outpouring of your Spirit, an outpouring of revival on our church and on our life individually. Goodness. We've sinned. We've sinned. And would you bring us genuinely to repentance that would be characterized by a response of your people and of me to sin and the Lordship of Jesus Christ would rule our daily living.
God, let it begin with me. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. God had just given a mighty victory to the people of His there in Joshua when He took that great fortified city and it was just given to all, to His people there. But when it was given, God said that the spoils, the loot, nobody was to have. They couldn't do that at all. They could not take it. It was for His glory. And the next little place that they were to conquer was a little old village called Ai. Now, Ai wasn't a walled city like they had just gotten through with. It was just a little old village sitting up on a mountain just to the right. If you were standing looking down into the valley there, that was the next place. Small village. Joshua sends out a reconnaissance team to look over everything and see what they're going to have to do to take it. And they come back and here's the report in Joshua 7 verse 3. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have, do not have all the people go up and let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. What confidence the confidence that they had. It was a small place, and in a small place, a few will do. We don't need any more. We're going to take that without any trouble at all. Well, you know what happened, if you know much about that. They went up there, and they had ignominious defeat. I'm telling you, they were routed. 36 men lost their lives. Nobody lost their lives in the first battle. How could that happen? Children of God are supposed to be victorious. Why is my life one of defeat when I'm supposed to have victory? Why are churches living in defeat like they are? Why is our nation like it is? Well, you know the answer. It's in verse 11. It gets personal in verse 11. It gets personal to us as well. God just simply answers, Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. That's exactly what He would say to us. Israel has sinned. Crossroads has sinned. Kent Workman has sinned. That's what he would say to us. Now I want to take you back in your mind about 2,000 years before Christ walked on this earth. So I want you to go back with me in your mind and I want you to see something. I want you to imagine what it's like to go back at Jericho Maybe you've been there and you've stood on the ruins there of Jericho and you looked at that and you saw that and Jericho was laying in total collapse and ruins. And I want you to imagine something. There's not a living soul in that city anymore. It's laying desolate after all those walls fell down. No live people left at all. I want you to imagine when you come off the hill where The ruins of Jericho are, you go off the hill and you go down through the Jericho Valley and you go across the valley towards the Jordan River and it is a huge valley, huge. Probably a million people were camping out in it at that time or maybe even more. That night, 
All the camp lays down after such a victory before that. The next day they'll be going to Ai. And while everybody that's supposed to be is asleep, there's one man. It's a moonlit night. And this man, Achan, is not asleep. He's awake. And Achan nervously goes to the door of his tent and he looks out to make sure that everybody's in their tent and it's quiet. He makes his way through that huge tent city there and he makes his way past the sentries, making sure no one sees him. And in the moonlight, he walks up that hill and he walks up there to the ruins. He goes across the ruins of all this great city that has fallen down and makes his way through the ruins to the heart of the city, the marketplace. And while he's going through those ruins, his eye catches something that the moon has lit up. And it's some coins that have fallen out of a bag. And he goes, reaches down and grabs that bag and he puts that bag and counts the coins. And in that bag that he picks up, there are silver coins, 200 of them. That is more money than this boy had ever seen. He didn't even know that much money could be. All 2,000 silver coins. He puts them back in that bag and just sort of hugs it up to his bosom, and he cannot believe he's in possession of that much. He moves on a little further, and there's something that looks down on the ground there in this city square that looks like a square of cheese or a piece of cheese. And he reaches down, and it's a bar of gold. He rubs that across his hands and puts it to his chest. A bar of gold, what could it be worth? And then he sees something else. Brilliant blues and reds and greens. And he pulls it up and it is a cloak. It's a mantle that only the wealthy could wear. He could never afford anything like that. He shakes it out and he cannot imagine he has these. And he wraps all this up and he goes back across the valley sneaks past the sentries, goes into his tent, and he quickly, hastily digs a hole under where his bedroll would be. And when he digs that hole up, he puts all that in the hole. He covers it back up, and amazingly, he thinks about all that's in that hole. He lays down. When he rolls his cover back over that freshly removed dirt that has filled in the hole, And he's thinking, no one saw me. No one saw me. I got by with this. And no one did see him. Except God. Except God. In the morning, the next morning, the mist begins to lift off the valley and off the Jordan River that runs to the far side of that valley. And the city begins to come awake. Tent city begins to come awake. And in all of that, the 
bugle is blown and 3,000 hand-picked men make their way up by the ruins again, going up to that little village called Ai. They walk in there with all the confidence, confidence that you can imagine. Just a little village. But those men of Ai, those hordes of Ai routed them. And as I said, 36 men lost their lives and the name of God was disgraced. I hope you have your outlines and you use them because this is a message we need today. And I hope you'll fill in those blanks as we look at them. I want us to look first at this sin. I want us to look at the underlying cause of sin. The underlying cause of sin. You've still got your Bible at chapter 7. I want you to look at and follow along in verses 6 through 11. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. I mean all day long he had been doing this. Until the evening, and he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Is that what it's all about? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. And then verse 8, O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut cut off our names from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Verse 10, For the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. I'm going to stop right there. This is the only place that I can find in the Bible where God forbids somebody to be on their face praying. He said, It's not a time to pray, it's a time to get up. That's the only place in the Bible I have ever found that. He says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? And then verse 11, for Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devout or devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Verse 11 again, for Israel has sinned. Wait a minute, Kent. I thought you said Achan is the guy that went up there. Achan was the guy that went up there. Well, does God hold an entire nation guilty for sin in the nation? Oh, yes, He does, friend. That's what I want you to see. That's the reason I want you to know we're guilty for what we've been seeing. What have you felt about all of this as you looked at it? I wish those people would straighten up. I want to tell you, friend, we're guilty. We are guilty. In a real sense, God's Word tells us that when there's sin at crossroads, fellowship, I'm guilty and you're guilty. When there's sin in my city, I'm guilty. When there's sin in my nation, I'm guilty. When there's sin in this world, I am guilty. That's what he's saying. I'm accountable for the sins of this church, of the sins of this nation, of the sins of this world what God's telling me. I'm accountable for that. Have you ever identified yourself with the sins of this world? Let me ask you a little, bring it down to close. 
closer to where we are. Have you ever identified yourself with the sins in this church? I just want to tell you something, friend. That's our problem. That's our problem. I want you to listen carefully. We are accountable for the fellowship in this church, the sins in this church. Let me tell you something. Happy is the man who doesn't condemn himself in the things that he allows. Under that first bulletin, a bullet rather, Israel's sin was carelessness. Carelessness. You remember that passage in verse 3 that I read a while ago? And carelessness, write this in right down below it, is marked, first of all, by pride. By pride. You remember? They said, do not have all the people go up, for they are few. They're few. They had pride. They were careless. They didn't realize what all had been going on. It won't take over two or 3,000 men for us to go up and take that little old city. We don't have to take everybody else. We'll not need to. They can just rest. In their minds, they're thinking, look what we did at Jericho. Friend, if you know anything about Jericho, that was a rigged battle. They didn't have anything to do with it. Six days, they walked around it, and one time around it every day. On the seventh day... The priest went before them and they walked around that city seven times. They blew the trumpets and everybody shouted and the walls fell down. They hadn't anything to do with that. God did all of that. Friend, anything ever good that comes out of this church or out of your life or my life, God did it. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. We want to start taking His glory. We talked about that last Sunday. We want to take His glory for those things. Friend, I want to tell you something. They were taking God's glory in all of that. Jericho wasn't their victory. It was God's victory. Be careful that you don't take take glory for something that God's been doing. He doesn't like that very well at all. I heard about a woodpecker who was picking on a 50-foot pine tree right up near the top. And there was a clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning that come and split that 50-foot pine tree right in the middle and laid both sides over. That woodpecker fell to the ground and he dusted himself off when he came to himself, fluffed his feathers again, and he flew off. And a little while later, he came back with 10 other or nine other woodpeckers. There's 10 of them, counting him. When they all got there, here's what that woodpecker said. He said, there it is, fellas, just like I told you what I did. That's where we are, aren't we? We want to take credit for everything. Everything. Too many times the blessings of God on a church is the very thing that brings destruction. Causes them to fall because they get arrogant because they believe it was their program or their personality or their propaganda or their paraphernalia that caused all this to happen. 
Not realizing it was God who did that. God did that with his power. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Carelessness is marked by pride. But let me give you a second thing there on your outline. Carelessness is marked. The child of pride is another mark. It's the pride, the child of pride is presumption. Presumption. Pride makes us presume that we think we can do it by ourselves, don't we? We don't need God anymore. Look what we've been doing. Everything's been working well. We don't need God anymore. It's what was going on. Let me give you both an encouragement and a warning. Let me give you the encouragement first. There's not a stronghold of Satan. There's no power of Satan that a child of God and the Spirit of God can have victory over. I'll say that again. There is no sin, no power of sin that Satan would have over you that filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we can have victory. That's the good part about it. That's the encouragement. Now let me give you the negative about it. And listen carefully. There's no power of Satan so small that you can have victory over it by yourself. We don't know that, it doesn't seem like. You don't know that at all. Israel overcame in the power of God and they also failed in their own strength in that little place called Ai. Manly Beasley, a great man of God, gone on to be home with God, tells a story of a missionary in the brush and this missionary in the brush was out in the wild there and a lion got after him and he cried out, Oh God, save me. And God spared him from the paws and the claws of that lion. He went home that evening back to his village where he was and he got in his tent thanking God for what had happened that day and he lay down on his bed and he turned off the lights when he laid down and he wasn't there but just a minute or two until he heard this mosquito flying around. He jumped up, turned on the lights and he couldn't see that mosquito anywhere. He lay down again and all through the night he tried to get a hold of that mosquito and never could. And in the morning when daylight finally come on the inside of the roof of that tent was a mosquito gorged with his blood. And then God spoke to him. And here's what God said. My child, you trusted me to deliver you from the claws and the jaws of a lion. And all night long you were defeated by a mosquito because, because you tried to do it in your own strength. Friend, I want to tell you something. That's exactly where we are today. It's where we are as a church. That's where I am as a pastor. I want you to know that. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, you'll remember this. The little foxes spoil the minds. I want to tell you, most of our defeats are not the big ones. They're the AIs that we think we can do on our own, that we think we can have victory over by ourselves. Marked by Israel was carelessness. 
was pride and was presumption. And the grandchild of pride, write this down, number three, is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Once I presume I can do it by myself, I don't have to pray anymore. Have you noticed that? Joshua, the leader, wasn't praying. You remember, he sent out the scouts and he listened to what they had to say instead of listening to what God had to say. Finally, as he did begin to pray, God showed him what was going on, but all the damage had already been done. I believe had Joshua prayed before he sent them, God would have told him what he told him after it was over with. But he didn't. Most of us wait until we have made a hopeless mess, don't we? Of everything we've done, and then we come to God in prayer. Prayer is our last resort, and you have to acknowledge this as well as I do, instead of our first response. That's what we want. That's what we do. Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. And then verse 18 of Ephesians 6 says, praying at all times in the Spirit. All of our failures are really nothing more than prayer failures. We don't spend that time in prayer. But look at Achan's sin on your outline. Achan's sin was covetousness. Write that in. Covetousness. Listen to verses 20 and 21. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. Verse 21, he says it all. When I saw the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. You know what covetousness is? It is an inordinate desire for something that belongs to somebody else. And it can be people or it can be things. Back to Exodus 20 tells us, thou shalt not covet. You know that as well as I do. Covetousness is an octopus. It just puts every tentacle around us and holds us fast, it seems like. Nothing will satisfy us until we get what we want. That's what the human soul wants and continues to want when covetousness is a part of our life. Another word for covetousness is worldliness. Achan had just fallen in love with the world. That's what had happened. You know this passage in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's what God's Word tells us. And then he goes on to talk what it, about what it is. It's the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the desire, things that are not ours. And when you love the world, that ought to be a symptom that you're not loving God like you do, like you should, like he wants us to. It's a warning light. Family, I'm speaking to you. And I'm speaking to those of our family that are listening and watching by Facebook right now. I want to ask you, is there any, any unconfessed sin that you, that I am carrying in this church right now? I don't know yours and thank God you don't know mine. But I want to tell you something. 
That thing that you can't control, that you've been trying to, that thing that keeps coming back, tells you that you're not in love with Jesus. When you fill up on Jesus, that does not happen. And I want to tell you something. Until your soul is satisfied with Jesus and my soul is satisfied with Jesus, we're not going to have that victory. The underlying cause of sin we looked at. The unfailing curse of sin. Number B, I want you to see that. The unfailing curse of sin. I want you to know about that as well. God had said in Joshua 6 verse 18, And you by all means abstain from the accursed thing. Stay away from it, he's saying. By all means stay away from it. There's a curse from God on unforgiven, unforsaken sin in our lives. Do you understand that curse? Do you understand when we don't do that, it lives with us day in and day out. Listen to what I am saying. God allows, as I told you last week, the unsaved to get by with a lot of things. But I want you to know, child of God, when there's unconfessed sin in our life, there's a curse on our life. There's a curse on our life. And it just doesn't stay on our life. It spreads to all of our church family and our immediate family and our nation and our world. I want to tell you something. His blood-bought children, He will not allow to continue to live that way. He'll not do that. You'll fail to prosper. I will fail to prosper. The church will not be what the God had called the church to be. It'll not happen when there's unconfessed, unrepented sin. Friend, I want to tell you something. I think this was mentioned last week by James. James, I'm listening to you. He said something about that you used to have the motto, whatever it takes. I remember when New Work Fellowship had that motto before you did. Whatever it takes. And we got so high and so mighty, we realized all of a sudden we don't have anything now. Our dreams are gone. And the people are not coming. And we wonder what in the world is happening. On the back side of your outline, turn it over. I want you to see and notice what Achan's sin cost and caused. And I want you to see your sin, and I want Kent to see his sin. First of all, it dishonored God. It dishonored God. That's what sin does. Verse 9, Joshua 7. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut us off and cut us off or will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now this is Joshua talking to God. You see, sin dishonors the name of God. And when it's among his children and a pastor. And the pew, it dishonors God. I want to tell you, it was mentioned earlier, Cadus is watching this fellowship. Do you understand that? They got all kinds of electronic means to know exactly what's going on in this place. And they're watching us. They're watching Crossroads. They've been watching individuals' lives. Your fellow worker is watching you. My friends are watching me. 
We bring reproach against the mighty name of God when all of a sudden we crash and smoke and burn, as it were, when we were saying, our God is powerful and He's almighty. He keeps us afloat. All the time we're saying how great our God is and we're just showing exactly the opposite of what we're saying. And the Canaanites laugh at us. And the Canaanites laugh at us. They're watching. We're talking about the curse of sin. It dishonors God. Let me give you a second thing. It brought defeat to his brothers. Verse 12. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before the enemies. Achan wasn't the only one who was defeated. Crossroads is defeated. And I'm defeated and you're defeated. Listen to me. I want to tell you something else that you don't like. It is my business how you live. And it is your business how I live. We're a family. It's just a simple principle. Do you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? I see some of you have. The rest of you are ashamed to answer. You know how it goes, don't you? You grab that thing and you squeeze it just as hard as you can. Then you put it in your mouth and suck on it, thinking that'll help. And after a while, you start dancing around like this. Let me ask you, what in the world is the connection between a thumb that's been hit and feet dancing on the ground? They're part of the same body. That's the reason you and I are bringing pain to the body. By the way, we live in what we say and our anger and all that we're stirring up. You don't like that? You can come and see me when church is over with. It doesn't bother me, friend. I'm old enough. I'm going to preach it. You can send me home and it doesn't bother me. But I want to tell you something. We need the truth. It brought defeat to his brothers because they were part of the body. That's the reason that How I live hurts you. And how you live hurts me if it's outside of God's will. If it's outside of wills. I want to tell you, Crossroads is just as victorious as I am. And just as victorious as you are. And I want you to know that Crossroads fails to the extent that I fail. And to the extent that you fail. You can blame it on anybody you want to. They may have been gone a long time. You can blame it on them. But friend, you get in the mirror, front of the mirror. That's where it belongs. God's called us to do a great work in Trigg County and in this world that you and I live in. We will face Him one day. I want to tell you, it won't be near as hard as we face somebody on this earth. Listen, He not only holds me accountable for sin in my life, but I want to tell you, He holds me accountable for the defeat in my church and the sin in my church and in my nation. What did Achan do to sin? Well, number three there, he brought disgrace to his parents. Did you notice that? They gave his whole genealogy. I mean, they brought them all in. Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Zerah. His entire family had been disgraced. They'd been disgraced. They'd probably died, some of them, long before, and probably all of them except him, back in the wilderness. His entire family were disgraced. Do you have family loyalty? 
Does it make a difference to you? Let me tell you something. We're to honor our father and our mother, and I want you to understand that don't stop with death. That's as long as we have the ability and we're alive to honor them. We're to honor our mother and our fathers when they're gone. You ever thought about being accountable for the gray hairs in your parents' head and the wrinkles on their face? I have. Goodness. Aiken's sin caused, number four, it brought death. It brought death to his children. To his children. Look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 7. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the sons of Zerai, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that it had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. You know what Achor means? The valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And then they burned their bodies. Something a Jew would never do. Burned his bodies. His children went down with him. His dad corrupted his children, this dad did. I wonder if there's someone listening to me, sitting here or listening or watching on Facebook, who has a son or a daughter that may be grown now and want nothing to do with God anymore because they heard their daddy or their mother say, you know, that old church does so-and-so down there and we really don't need that anymore. You listening to what I'm saying? I hope I'm getting as close to your heart as I can get. I'm telling you, I've lived with this sermon for two or three weeks now. I want you to share some of the burden. A real story. In Madisonville, Kentucky, there was a man whose wife went to church, a very faithful member, and the church loved this family, but the daddy didn't come. The daddy didn't come, and he had a small child that didn't come either. He wouldn't let her take that child to church. And the church prayed for him and prayed for him. And one time the church was having a revival. This is a true story. And the pastor and the evangelist went over to visit this man. And they had a chance to talk to him and plead with him for his life to get right. He was a polite guy evidently from what I understand. But he wouldn't do anything. They walked out of the door, and that's pre-first grader. Climbed up in his daddy's lap, and here's what he said. We don't want to be an old Christian, do we, Dad? But let me tell you the good news. God just broke that hard heart. And that man got saved and got right with God. Friend, do you realize your influence, the underlying cause of sin, the unfailing curse of sin that's going to come when we have it and it's not forsaken and confessed and inevitably 
there is the consequence of sin. I want you to look at that and we close. There are immediate consequences of sin for God's children, but there's also an ultimate consequences of unconfessed, unrepented sin. The first one, the ultimate revelation of sin. The ultimate revelation of sin. Look at it. Joshua says to him in verse 18, And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua brought all the heads of the household by his tent that day. And by the divine intervention and finger of God, God pointed this man out. Pointed him out. That's how it happened. Numbers 32 verse 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. And it will. It sure will. That's what sin does. Sin cannot be ignored. It has to be covered by the blood. That's the only way you can take care of it. It has to be covered by the blood. The ultimate revelation of unconfessed sin and unforgiven sin, unrepented sin, is what you see there. It's going to be made known. It's going to be made known. Romans 14, 11 and 12 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, we think, we have an old saying. I worked in the clinical laboratories for years before I was in the ministry. And I swear I think I picked this saying up. If it written, if it's in written, it didn't happen. You ever heard that? Would you hear me read up there? It's written. <laughs> he wrote it down. If you want to know, God, why are you doing this? I don't remember. God says, here it is. I've written it down. You can't argue about it. I've written it down. Goodness. There was a newspaper that had as, as its motto these words. If you don't want it printed, then don't do it. I like that. I like that. I like that. Secondly, the ultimate recognition of sin. Not only do we have the consequences of it, the ultimate consequences, but the ultimate recognition not only will God reveal our sins, but He says we will admit them. We will admit them. Everyone will confess their sins. It's just a matter of when. In verses 19 and 20 of Joshua 7, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to Him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. In verse 20 says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, and the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And he spelled it out in detail. He spelled it out in detail. And verse 21 says, you notice, I want you to see if you look at that verse 21, that he did not give, he did not get forgiveness when he confessed. Because he confessed after. After. Why did he confess now? I want you to listen to this very carefully. Verse 19. Give glory to the Lord God. 
God will get glory from every individual ever created on the face of this earth. We're going to give glory to God. Everybody, whether they accept Him or refuse Him, we're going to give Him glory. If God doesn't get glory from saving us, I want you to know He'll get glory in our judgment. Now, I didn't say He'd have fun. He gets glory in our judgment. He doesn't get joy out of it. We confess. We will confess. Don't you wait till it's too late. The last is the ultimate retribution of sin. The ultimate retribution of sin. God must judge sin. And sin always brings defeat. We saw that in Joshua's... Uh, in Joshua 7 verse 5 it always brings loss it brings trouble to the life of the Christian and Joshua said why did you bring trouble on us the Lord bring trouble on you today and all Israel stoned him with stones and burnt their body I'm going to give you some life application and I close follow Christ Your sins are under the blood judicially. Listen to what I'm saying. They're under the blood uh, judicially as determined as far as determining heaven and hell. But I want you to not be foolish or arrogant in believing that you're a believer and you can sin and get by with it. Because I want to tell you, when I sin, I'm hurting you. When you sin, you're hurting me. I don't have that right and you don't have that right. And I want you to know that God will not let that get by. And I'll let that get by. But I want you to imagine something in this picture that's not in the Bible. Now I want you to understand it's not in the Bible. I'm just making it up. But just imagine with me, Achan lying on his back on that pallet. And he gets to thinking and his heart gets to beating real loud and he can feel it in his chest. And he's thinking as his whole body begins to tremble and his fingers are trembling. And he's saying, oh God, what have I done? I've taken the accursed thing. I've done that. How could I dishonor my God and disobey my God by stealing what belongs to Him and what is not mine? What a fool I've been. And I can see Him in my mind's eye as He gets up and He pulls that thing back and He scratches that dirt back off of His loot. And He picks that loot up and He starts running through the crowd, through the tents. He don't care who He wakes up this time. He's going to Joshua's tent in the middle of the camp as fast as He can get there. And when he gets there, he says, Joshua, Joshua, I've been a fool. I've been a fool. I've sinned against Jehovah God. I've sinned against my nation and against my people. I've sinned against my family, the Israelite nation, as well as my immediate family. I've stolen what belongs to God and doesn't belong to me. I've taken it from the treasury and it doesn't belong to me. I confess my sins. I repent. Pray for me, Joshua. I ask for God's mercy. Would God have given him mercy then? Oh, yes, he would have. Proverbs 28, 13. 
He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Let me tell you what this whole story is all about. You don't cover your sin. There's no way to cover your sin or for me to cover my sin. But I can tell you something. God can cover it. He can cover it with His precious blood. He can cover it with His precious blood. And friend, He don't rub it in. He rubs it out. And you will not see it or know it again. Oh, friend, I want to tell you something. It's taken me a few months now. Maybe two or three months. Maybe all the pandemic that's been happening has just slowed me down to stop and think. But there is something at Crossroads Fellowship that's keeping us from the power and the presence of God in this place. I don't know. You may not like that, and I hope you don't. But I hope you dislike it enough to know that something's got to happen in this place. There's something that's blocking us from the power and the mercy and the presence of God in this place. I don't know what it is, and I don't see in the sight of you, and you don't see inside of me. But I've been laying my face before God these last two or three weeks, especially as I've been going over this message, and I've said, God, here I want to confess of this, and I want to stop this right now in my life. God's beginning to do a cleansing in my heart. And I'm sorry to have to tell you, your pastor needs a cleansing in his heart in his heart but I'm just being truthful I'm old enough I don't care what people think anymore I want you to know that I want you to know that I can't see inside of you but would you be willing enough and bold enough to go before God and say God you start with me you start with me been a pastor long enough to know that there's a bunch of people on the church road that never got saved. I've been joyously rewarded by seeing church members get saved. It's a wonderful thing when a church member gets saved. I've been able to see that. And I know we may think we're saved, but we're really not. Our life does not show it. Our sin tells us it's not there. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, would you just right now, where you are, you just drop your head and say, Oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I've finally recognized it. And I don't want to be one that holds back this church from your power and your presence. Forgive me, oh God. Would you do that? After this service is over with, would you just find me and share that with me? Maybe you have unconfessed sin and you know you're a child of God and you know exactly where the sin is. Would you make it right today? You may have to go to somebody outside this building or you may have to go to somebody inside this building. Would you make it right today? Would you do that? I pray you will. I want to tell you something. I want God to do something in this church. And I'm tired of just feebly trying to keep our head above water. I want God's will. Well, at this time in our service, we would be receiving our offering, and the offering plate will be right here as you go out this way. And thank you, last week you did so well in your social distancing as you went outside the building.
I share a story with you that's a true story. It happened in a small French village during World War II. And this French village, which was occupied by the Nazis, developed the habit of risking all their lives for Jews that they held right in that city where the Nazis were coming and going. They, all through the war, had taken care of Jews right under the Nazis' nose. When it was over with, there was a man by the name of Philip Haley. And Philip Haley wanted to go back and examine that family, that little community up in the mountains there, and wonder what was wrong about them. So he lived with them a while, and he asked questions, and he had questionnaires that they were filling out, and he was trying to find out about them. And sometime after spending a few weeks after them, uh, with them after that period of time, he discovered some things. He discovered they were not superhuman. They were not extremely intelligent. They were not extremely brave. He said, the only thing that I could find that held them together was a little old community church in that village. And every Sunday, they went into that church and they listened to the Word of God. And as they listened and heard the Word of God, they became a people of consciousness towards God. Towards God. And they knew what to do, and they did it. They knew what to do, and they did it. When they faced the test, they simply did what God had told them to do. I want to ask you, are you doing what God tells you to do? Have you heard the Word, listened to it long enough that your conscience has been changed to obey it? That includes giving and that includes living. Before we close, Russ will be making his way up here just in a minute. Just two or three things I want to share with you. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in probably about three weeks or something like that, we'll let you know. I've wanted to have it, and we're going to have it. Now, we'll not be passing a plate around. You'll get individual containers with your bread and your juice. But I want us to observe the family meal together, the Lord's Supper. And so I want to do that, and we're going to have a message before that to get us ready for it. But I'm looking forward to that. And let me also, Lance will be sharing more with you, pray every day for our prospective pastor. Going to be here soon. In a minute you're going to find out how soon. But pray for him. Pray for his family. You don't have to know his name to pray for him. You just pray for him. God knows his name. Oh, this is so important. If you read what I said Friday... You know how important it is. Lance. A couple of quick things. Uh, We're not passing the offering plate as you guys uh, that were here last week. You know we have a basket at the exit right underneath the exit sign here. 
You can put your offering in the basket there on the way out. You go on into the hallway, there's some more baskets for the food basket uh, offering that we're taking up that will be shared with those in need. And you can, uh, that's a separate, uh, that's in the hallway, if you can, uh, would do that. Um, let me uh, share on behalf of our, our pastor search team a few things. We want, I think we've had some concern that like it, maybe it feels like that it's a top secret, uh, some kind of covert operation going on or that it's something uh, uh, we by no means want to, to appear that way. Uh, it started out, uh, you guys know there were several, uh, the process, several applications that were received and resumes and some of those were from local, right here close. Some of these men were pastoring churches already. And because of that, there's just, just as you would, if you had a job and you were interviewing for another job, there's some confidentiality that you want to maintain. And so that's, that was the initial reason in doing that. Um, along with that, we, uh, as the process came, and I... I, I there's a lot that went on that, I mean, we just don't have time to share. But through this whole process, uh, it, was, it was without doubt that the, the five of us on the team, that God was directing us in a, in a, a way to one man. Uh, and I, as that being said, you, get, you guys are going to have the opportunity to meet him. And after that, uh, two weeks following you getting to meet him, you're going to vote. This is not, oh, okay, you know, here's your guy. We feel like it is, okay, or we wouldn't be presenting him to you. But everyone is going to have the opportunity to meet him. And if you're a member here uh, at the church, you're going to have an opportunity to vote. And, uh, and so everybody's got some say, and everybody uh, has, uh, again, has got that opportunity. Now, I think... Uh, the, we received a, or sent out questionnaires um, to these men and asked some theological questions and how they believe and some and and you guys are going to get an opportunity to see that prior to meeting him. You're going to see the same questionnaire that we sent out and you're going to see his answers. You're also going to have an opportunity to ask questions following the service. And I mean, we would love to have a fellowship meal and have that time. That's probably not going to happen. Uh, just under the circumstances that we have going on now with the COVID-19, we're not going to do have the meal, but you're going to have that opportunity to, to like, again, ask questions um, uh, at that time. All right, team, the date changed since we met this morning. Uh, it's the 21st. He will be here on the 21st of uh, June. Uh, and... Is that the longest day of the year? Okay, well, then, we, man, we can have all kinds of questions and still have daylight, right? Uh, we may meet outside because we want, you know, it, it, we are limited to the number of folks we can really get in here and do it in a safe manner. So we may, if we could, if the weather is permitting, we, this will kind of be a, uh, a work in, we'll adjust to what we need to do. I can share this with you. Uh, he is not from Cadiz, Kentucky. He's not from Hopkinsville. Um, I can say with confidence, I believe there's nobody other than those of us on the team that know him. Uh, his name is Matt. If you want to put a name with that, uh, uh, and we would, sh we would 
Today, you know, there's Facebook and there's Twitter and there's all kinds of things. And we want everybody to meet him at one time. We want you to be able to see him, hear him as we did and talk to him and then be able to make some, don't come with some formed opinion before you get here. Okay. Uh, he's been in Katie's one time. That's when he met with, unless he's been back since, since we talked to him. It was his first trip to Cadiz. Uh, uh, he's in driving distance of, uh, of, and I don't mean driving, live, and coming, but I mean he's not having to take a plane to get to, to, get to Cadiz, okay? Uh, so that being said, uh, lift Matt up in prayer, okay? You have a name. Uh, and uh, as, uh, you know, Brother Kent, this morning your message, I don't want to be aching. I don't think any of you do either. Uh, please join the search team. And lift him Matt and his wife in prayer. Uh, we really, uh, God has had his hand in this whole process. And God has a work here for crossroads if we'll allow him to. And don't stand in the way. Uh, let's stand. Most gracious Heavenly Father, oh, it is such a privilege to be able to come into your house and worship with your people. God, for our family of crossroads that we're here together, God, we love each other. And let us, the outside world is full of chaos and hate and negative in every way we can see it, but we don't want that here at Crossroads. We don't want that for each other. We don't want that for our family. We don't want it for the world, God. And God, we know that uh, as we sing this morning, when we don't see it and when we don't feel it, God, you're at work. And God, we just, uh, God, we do lift Matt up to you. We lift his family up to you. And Lord, we just pray that, uh, that in our hearts and our minds, that all as he comes on the 21st of June, Lord, we pray that we'll all be able to, to worship together. And God, that without a shadow of a doubt, that we'll know that if he's the man for Crossroads or not. And Lord, we, uh, um, uh, again, we just uh, pray that earnestly. And Lord, we just uh, pray for, uh, I pray for my church family and those that aren't here with us. And Lord, we pray that those that, uh, uh, as the time comes that they feel that they can be here safely, Lord, that they'll come back and, and join here with us. And, Lord, we just, uh, again, be with us as we go throughout the upcoming week. And, Lord, just, uh, 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 Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is, is uh, putting a barrier between us and our relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you'll reveal that to us and that, Lord, that we can uh, confess it and get rid of it. Lord, just... Uh, Again, thank you again for being here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.